Hi, it's Arjun with part two of my 2023 big questions at the start of the year. Today, I'm going to focus on free money bubble stocks, EV hockey sticks, and oil demand. And so last week, I did part one of this. I want to answer what I guess is question four. What does Tesla's valuation correction mean for EV growth projections? Some ground rules about this video. This video is about oil demand expectations. It is not a Tesla video. So if you're a fanboy that loves Tesla or a detractor that thinks it's a fraud, this video is not for you. This is for people interested in the energy sector and evaluating what does it mean for Tesla's valuation to deflate here? What kind of impact can that have on people's expectations for oil demand? Second point, I am actually a very happy owner of a Tesla, a Model S for five years, a Model 3 for the last two, seven years. I am, I, I love my, my Tesla. Um, I do not fall into this sort of extremist camp that either Elon is God's gift to humanity because he's going to solve climate change and take us to Mars or that it's all a fraud. I actually just like the car. Uh, it's been a great experience charging at home, one pedal driving, the technology and modern nature of the current EV, I am a very happy Tesla owner. Third disclaimer, I've, I maybe I'm the only person who actually has a constructive, if not bullish outlook for oil demand and a reasonably bullish outlook for EV sales. I think EV sales are going to grow over the next 5, 10, and 20 years. What I don't believe in and what I'm going to push back on in this video are the EV hockey stick forecast, the idea that we can somehow get to some 100% or 90% plus type market share of sales or the fleets at any point within this next 10, 20, 30 years, um, I think is ludicrous. And I think the deflating of the, the bubble, if you will, um, is going to start flattening those hockey stick forecasts, but we'll still get some growth. And I think all that will provide a growing recognition that peak oil demand is not imminent. Uh, it, it's possible with population growth slowing, there is some date out there in the future, um, but I don't think it's this decade. And I'm going to get to that in this video. And, and maybe most importantly, that as people gain confidence that oil demand isn't peaking, that's going to be positive for terminal value, terminal, terminal valuation for XLE and traditional energy stocks. Again, I love my Tesla. This is my Model S, the, the first one I had. Uh, this is actually on the road to visit cousins in Western Pennsylvania. I would note, as someone who often is quite critical of the EU and European energy policy, I am wearing a Gujira shirt. This is a French band, heavy metal band, that uh, I would encourage people to, to check out. Uh, ironically, uh, a lot of their themes do relate to the environment and climate and that kind of stuff. Great band, best, one of the best things to come out of France. And this is my baby, my first, uh, first Model S. Let's talk about the bubble stock cycle here. Um, and, it, and it is a cycle. Uh, and I'm going to walk through some of the steps. Um, this is a graph of Bitcoin in yellow, Tesla in red, ARK, their innovation ETF, ARKK in purple, the clean energy stocks in green, the S&P in blue, and all the way here at the bottom uh, in the white line, traditional energy. And, uh, and this is since 2015. So a couple of things, uh, even though some of these former high flyers are down a lot, and I'll get to that in a moment. Over, I guess, uh, seven, eight years, they're still doing better than traditional energy. It's 
up off its low, but still lagging. Energy is still lagging things that are down 75 and 80%, which is actually uh, quite remarkable. There's, there's a couple, I think, basic elements to the bubble stock cycle we've had. The first is fundamental growth, and I think that's often forgotten. In the case of Tesla, in 2015, they had almost no sales. In 2022, they delivered globally something like 1.4 million vehicles, which is a remarkable, remarkable number. They have uh, revolutionized the luxury vehicle space. They've taken a lot of share from some of the peers. There has been real growth. So again, for all the people who don't like Elon or don't like the accounting or don't like this or that, um, there's no denying the fact that there's been substantial actual growth. And that is true for some of these other things as well. You then combine that with free money. And we've had free money really since the great financial crisis, but especially in 2020 and 2021 in reaction to COVID and stuff, um, you've, you, you had perhaps the, the biggest inflation in this bubble from that free money paradigm and all that comes with it. Growth over value, doesn't matter if you're profitable or not. And I would note Tesla is profitable, but kind of all the bad aspects of um, that, that comes with free money, we saw it here uh, in 2020 and 2021. And then lastly, perhaps unique to Tesla, this sort of climate ideology. The idea that there is a climate crisis that needs to urgently be solved and we need to turn everything to electric vehicles and electrify everything within 10 or 15 years or the world is going to end. That minds, and don't get me wrong, I'm in favor of decarbonization. Uh, I do think there are many reasons to move to lower uh, forms of, of carbon energy uh, and take other environmental steps. But it's the ideology that I think combined with free money and what was actual growth to really, I mean, Tesla was a 20 bagger from this 2015 period to its peak in 2020. Um, and again, traditional energy is up 10% since 2015. And so where are we today? I think we're starting to see the bubble deflate and some of these same factors reverse. So we've been hit with a dose of energy pragmatism, I think people all appreciate this. It started prior to Russia, Ukraine. Energy was starting to move off its lows. There were signs of kind of a brewing tight energy market and then clearly supercharged uh, by the, uh, the obvious geopolitical turmoil and the recognition. Yes, we'd like some new stuff, but we definitely need a lot of the old stuff. And that transition needs to be much more sensible than what I would say has been an ideological uh, driven approach to immediately get rid of the old stuff even before the new stuff may be fully ready for prime time. We've got the end of free money, which again, I think everyone's aware of. Suddenly real returns on capital matter. Simply being unprofitable and hoping for a better future is not good enough. I think all the challenges that come with actually having to model things out, uh, you're going to see that start getting into these valuations. And then lastly, Tesla specific, it's quite possible that sales growth is going to slow, at least in 2023, and maybe that's due to recession. But while I still expect EVs to grow and I still expect Tesla to be an EV leader, um, there are some signs of deceleration. All of that is contributing to these 75, 80% type reductions. But I would note, even with the reductions we've seen so far, Tesla is still up 8x from 2015. So the bubble is starting to deflate. I think it would appear that maybe there's still some room to go. So uh, let me now switch to the issue of oil demand, which is the subject I want to talk about today. So this is, uh, comes from the IEA. It was a May 2021 report, their net zero report. And for those of you that don't know, 
The International Energy Agency was originally created in the 70s in response to that energy crisis to try and help consuming countries avoid an energy crisis or at least mitigate it. Uh, this report, this is going to go down as one of the signposts that can, is contributing to the very challenging energy conditions today. It's not the only reason, but I think this report marked the full ideological shift of the IEA to being a climate advocate and ideologue above and beyond um, their traditional uh, mandate. So listen, this forecast, I'm sorry, it's a scenario from the IEA. The scenario is if you want to get to net zero carbon emissions by 2050, this is the kind of downward slope we would need in oil demand. And again, in fairness to them, this isn't a forecast, though it's being used as such by other climate ideologues, which I don't think is a shock or a coincidence and might have been part of the point. But, but, but even for people who don't fully subscribe to this degree of decline, there is this notion out there that oil demand is somewhere within its plateau phase. Uh, and, and for it to be in a plateau phase or a peaking phase, two things would have to be true. One, efficiency gains would need to pick up meaningfully the rate of oil demand growth relative to GDP growth. That is, you'd have to have that relationship go in favor of much stronger efficiency gains. And then number two, substitution, which at least in the context of this video is electric vehicles. So let me address both those points in the next few slides. So for those of you that have heard me talk, I've, I've made this point um, kind of throughout my career, is that this is U.S. fuel economy standards. CAFE is what our government, I guess, promises or mandates uh, automakers to adhere to. The black line is what our actual miles per gallon have actually done. We have missed the CAFE objective by 95%. And even this half a percent CAGR, I think, somewhat overstates a little bit what our actual uh, miles per gallon improvement has been. And it's a number of different factors. First, real world versus sticker driving. I think everyone appreciates that. Biggest factor has probably been the SUVification, heavier vehicles offsetting the benefits of otherwise more uh, fuel efficient engines and so forth. But there is, there is no sign that we're on track to hit efficiency gains. This is the US. Uh, it's true for China. It's true for a lot of other countries. Um, it's, it's been a big miss. And you can look at this uh, second way as well. So this is global. The first one was US fuel economy. We miss. This is global oil demand uh, efficiency gains. And I, I think I'd make a couple points here. Um, this looks at the relationship of oil demand growth to GDP growth. And oil demand grows slower than GDP. And that rate of slowness um, doubled between the 1990s when oil was 15 to $25 a barrel to the $100 period of the 2000s. We kind of had a one-time step change, I'll just call it improvement in efficiency, i.e. using less oil demand relative to unit of GDP. But to really believe that oil demand is going to peak and plateau, again, it's efficiency in the near term, it's EVs in the long term. In my view, there is no evidence, zero, not an iota of evidence that this relationship is on track for a step change improvement. And that's what you're going to have to believe to really think that oil demand is going to roll over, let's just call it in the 2020s or early 2030s, even if you are in EV bull. I think this is one of the least analyzed and misunderstood data points out there. Oil demand grows slower than GDP growth. It has forever. But that rate of change has been pretty steady. We're not seeing a step change, I guess, improvement in efficiency, which then might lead to some plateauing or peaking in oil demand.
So let me now turn to the EV market. And this is uh, this comes from Twitter, the at I cannot underscore enough account. Great, great graph and enjoy following this account. It looks at it's ranked by 2015 US light vehicle sales. These are all the automakers here, GM, Ford, etc. Uh, and you can see almost everybody, GM, Ford, Toyota, all had shrinking sales in the U.S. over this period. With one notable exception, and that is Tesla, going from zero to, uh, this is 2022, you know, about 500,000 units of sales. Oops, sorry about that. Um, the only other company to show any growth was Hyundai Kia. Um, I, I can't say I know a lot about Hyundai, Kia. I, I think these are low-end cars. I, I've never driven one to my knowledge. Uh, and maybe that makes sense. You got the luxury market, Tesla doing well. You got this car company, these maybe two companies kind of doing a little bit better and everybody shrinking. And I think this was the first element of people saying EVs are the future. Look at how great Tesla's done when everyone's done poorly. This is a sign of change. And, and, it, and it is. There, no one's saying there's no change going on. There absolutely is change going on. It's just a question of where do we go from here? So you take Tesla's success, which to their credit, they have fully earned and achieved. Uh, again, happy Model 3 owner. And you then see these EV hockey stick forecasts. And, and this is where I start having some issues. So I've already mentioned that fuel economy and efficiency gains are on track to completely disappoint what people think. It's, it, that's not a close call. Uh, on this one, these hockey stick forecasts, they stem from Tesla's success. You combine that with the free money era, where growth above all else was the only metric. And then lastly, you mix in a heavy dose of climate ideology and the climate crisis. Um, and you get these expectations of near 100% EV sales by some year. And this is a work uh, done by my colleagues at the Center on Global Energy Policy. It's a report that looks at um, what other organizations are forecasting for EV sales gains. And I want to then show, the, the, that's the flow data. Let me look at the stock data. This is uh, EVs as a percent uh, of the total fleet of cars and light trucks. And, you know, again, today, um, you know, the total uh, fleet of cars and light trucks is probably 1.2 to 1.4 million units globally. Uh, and EVs are currently, excuse me, billion units. Uh, and EVs are currently a very small portion of that. But if you get to 100% EV sales by 2030, 2035, 2040, that then allows the total fleet to roll over. And I think both of these have their issues. In order to get by 2050 a near 100% share of EVs, you're going to have to be selling 100% uh, EVs 15 years at least before that, given that cars can last 15, 20, 30 years. And I think both of these, both of these projections, they're related. Um, they all tie into this notion that oil demand is going to peak. And therefore, yes, energy companies, traditional energy is doing well now, but it's a temporary thing. And I think it's these forecasts that are most likely going to get revised down in this era of energy pragmatism, this recognition that climate only ideology is really not a good thing. Uh, free money is ending. And I think the, uh, let's just call it magic uh, fairy pixie dust kind of growth projections are going to go out the window. Um, so let's, let's just get to the final point I want to make, and that is the impact of Tesla's outsized valuation on all the traditional OEMs. So if they've all lost share to Tesla over the last five years, and Tesla has demonstrated, again, there is market demand for EVs. And I do think things like the pickup truck segment, the Ford Lightning, I think it's called, that looks like a fantastic vehicle. 
I think just like Tesla took share in the sedan market, I think it's quite possible that EV pickup trucks take some notable share. But all of that is very different than our entire fleet and all of our sales around the world going to EV within some 10, 20, 30 year time frame. When we know we have issues with lithium, we know we have issues with cobalt. When money's not for free, I think all these things are going to get dialed back. But this, again, if you're a traditional OEM and you just got smoked by Tesla on sales for five years, seven years running, and then you look at Tesla's valuation, this again is January 10th close, I think. And uh, this is just me looking at Bloomberg comps. I'm not an autos analyst. Someone may have better numbers. Uh, but Tesla trades at 4.4 times sales, even after being down <laughs> 70 plus percent. And everyone else trades at 0.35. Uh, and there's some variation here, but you know it's still 10x uh, the valuation. And whether you look at P or EV to EBITDA, you can look at any of these metrics. Obviously, even just market cap, um, Tesla is smoking the competition. And there is absolutely valuation envy when it comes to mature companies, legacy companies, and the darling growth leader. We, we saw this in traditional energy. When the Permian EMPs were getting the big premium, it inspired everyone. It made everyone want to go into shale and the Permian. Um, I think you're seeing large elements of that here. So if Tesla's valuation continues to deflate in this post-bubble, money's not for free, climate-only ideologies, hugely problematic, and, that, and we have the realities of how challenging I think it will be to ramp up, even as EV sales grow, um, you know, I think you'll see everybody across the board dial back on their plans. And the, that'll ultimately, to me, translate into greater confidence that oil demand is not on track to peak, certainly not this decade. And I, I would challenge uh, whether it'll even happen next decade. This is looking at free cash yield. It's Exxon, uh, which I always cite as the bellwether. It's not meant to be an Exxon forecast. This is all actually backwards looking data. Um, I'm, I think Chevron deserves to be included here as well as a similar fellow bellwether. So I'm going to start including them on these sort of, let's look at the bellwether energy valuation and look at it versus other FANG names. These companies have generally traded at much lower free cash yields. Investors have believed in their growth. They've had good profitability. It's not that it's been undeserved, but there's a cycle to this as well. The sort of bubble stock money for free mentality didn't just impact companies like Tesla or the ARK ETF fund. It impacted other very well-run companies I admire and like but might have also gotten to crazy valuations as well. And I'm not here to debate whether a 5% free cash yield is right or wrong on Apple. But I will say this, streaming. What, what is the longevity of Netflix's demand? Uh, Facebook, social media. What is the longevity of the demand for, for Facebook? And even as much as I, everything I'm shooting today and record is all on Apple products, but are we sure iPhones are going to be around in 10 or 20 or 30 years? So I'd say... If we look at the demand outlook, yes, commodity prices are more volatile, oil prices are more volatile. Um, some people might wonder whether these are uh, you know, peak oil prices. I don't think so, but some people may think that. All of that may contribute to this valuation, but so does the notion that it's a sunset industry. And again, as you start pushing this stuff to the right, I think these free cash yields are going to structurally re-rate -re towards some of these traditional leaders. So I'd like to end this video on a personal note. And I think I'd like to stick with the theme of making friends with social media. As I've repeatedly said, the bulk of this video was about the outlook for energy demand 
and how I think changes in Tesla's valuation, the big inflation and now the deflation, is going to help people maybe dial back their expectations for when oil demand will peak. And I just spent a whole bunch of time on it. But if you are interested in the Tesla debate, it, it is actually a lot of fun. And I think many of you listening to this do have access to normal street research. There's some fine analysts out there at the, the, the bulge bracket firms, but there's no better place to, to watch Twitter than on social media. And it is Tesla, the fanboys who love the stock, versus what is called the Tesla Q group, which would be the ticker if it went bankrupt, uh, the bears. And I will just say, having observed this uh, uh, from afar over the last five years, the bulls have crushed the bears. It's not a close call. It wasn't a fair fight. Uh, we are now seeing with the valuation correction, it's actually more balanced. And if you want some good people to follow, I'll include this in the show notes on the fanboy side. I think you have to go with Gary Black. Uh, he's a known institutional investor kind of name. And, and I hate to say it, you probably have to go with the ARC folks to at least make sure you get the proper fanboy bull case there. On the bear side, I've become a fan of Motorhead. That's the name that he goes by. It, I think it's at Brad Munchen. Maybe I'm mispronouncing that as the Twitter handle. I'll, I'll, again, I'll include this in the show notes. I'd also include Gordon Johnson, uh, who I'm. He, he gets a lot of negative flack on Twitter. I actually think he does some very solid work. And uh, I would encourage you to follow at least those four accounts to get the full bull bear debate. There's nothing like watching it on Twitter. It's as fun as it gets. Thank you. <laughs>